Hello, this is Annie Catherine, host of the multi-award-winning podcast, Soulful Series. Thank you for joining me as I chat with award-winning authors who have written a memoir or nonfiction motivational book and have an uplifting message to share. everyone. I am here with Gabby Coatsworth to talk about her memoir, Love's Journey Home. Thank you so much for being here today with me, Gabby. My pleasure. It's very nice to talk to a Chicagoan again. Oh, yes, <laughs> yes. I remembered you lived here for a little bit, as you mentioned in the book. Yeah, it was the first place that I lived in the United States. And um I was actually very happy to be in Chicago because I felt that Chicagoans were more like real Americans than the people on the coasts, you know, yeah. and, um, and they were wonderful, uh, really welcomed me and explained all the things I was clueless about. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, I'm still friends with the people that I worked with then. And that was 40 years ago, which is a, an amazing thing. That is a wonderful. I know I always hear good things about the Midwest, so I'm glad I live here. I, I don't really like the weather so much when it's cold and dreary, but you know what? It's a trade-off. <laughs> it is. It is. And, and, you know, we have that in the Northeast. I'm in Connecticut and we have winters here yeah. too. So Yeah. So tell me what inspired you to write your memoir? Well, what really inspired me, I suppose, and maybe it wasn't even inspiration, it was more like I felt I had to do it, was that uh, my husband of 30 something years uh, died in uh, 2015. And I had fallen in love with him 40 years before that. Yeah. And in England, while well, he lived in America, and then, you know, eventually married him, he lived in Connecticut and uh, Things were good, but also difficult. And I had decided to leave him and live on my own um, after about 30 years. Mm -hmm. And then six months later, he got very sick and he wasn't able to drink anymore, which was something that turned him right back into the guy I'd fallen in love with 40 years before. Mm -hmm. He was the same wonderful person and we, it's a terrible thing to say, but we were really happy together for those last few months. And then I said to myself, was it, was it true? Was it an illusion? Was that real love? What was it? And I needed to figure it out for myself. Mm -hmm. So I started to write the good things I remembered, the bad things I remembered. And then I couldn't write anymore. It's like, I, I can't, it's, I'm British. I don't bleed on the page. Yeah. Um, and my friends said to me, why don't you just write it as if no one else is going to read it? Mm. And that was the clue to me being able to keep writing it. Yeah. And I think I did explain it. I think I feel okay about my life and the way that it went, you know, um, and so that's how it came about. Yeah, that's good advice to write it like nobody will read it. And I think that's the key to a good book because you, first of all, you're healing as you're writing the book and you're trying to figure out your, your yeah. journey. But I also think 
you're when you're raw and real, you're also helping the readers when they're reading the book too. think about love in a different way or, or marriage or dying, which is very big part of your book. Yeah. And what's fascinating to me is the way that people react to people have different parts of the book that speak to them. So one person was fascinated by working in a sort of male dominated business in the 1970s and somebody else was relating to being a single mother at that time and somebody else um, related to having a second marriage with teenagers which is much harder than having little kids and <laughs> yeah and um and some people reacted to the alcoholism issues in there so that is something that I didn't expect, actually. I don't know why I didn't. I probably should have. But I, I wasn't thinking about that when I wrote the book. Yeah. But it does seem to touch people in different ways, which is lovely, really. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the part about um, you being a single mother, raising kids and, and working, because I really admired you. As I was reading this book, I was like, wow, how does she do it? How does she raise her kids, <laughs> young kids? And, and she's so successful at this job. And that really, that, that really resonated with me. And not, not that that's happening in my life, but it just was such a like inspiration. So that, that like, I can see why people, you know, pointed that out and, and other things you talked right. about. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. it was, it was interesting. And you know what, I had a woman boss. My first boss was a woman who had succeeded on her own merits in, in business. And she, she was a single mother with a daughter. Mm -hmm. Actually, that's how I met her. I started babysitting the daughter okay. uh, occasionally and while I was a student. And so because Dawn had done this, my boss was called Dawn, because she'd done this, I never questioned it. I really didn't question. I went, can be done. We, this is what we do. And um, I was very lucky that way. And the man who employed me in Chicago for the project that I came to work on was someone who had had a single mother. He had been the child and he really supported women and gave them opportunities. And, you know, I was allowed to call in and say, sorry, she's sick today, that kind of thing. So I was extremely lucky. Uh, that's what I would say. Yeah, you had some great mentors and, and that that's exactly right. You say this person can do it. I can do it too. And yeah, that, that was so wonderful. I love that part of the book. Um, so let's talk about the cover. So this is lovely. Tell me the inspiration behind this. So, um, the photograph is actually taken by my daughter and it's the view from our house in New Hampshire across the lake and um, it's beautiful as you can tell and I, I love the cover design my publisher put it together yeah. and all I said to him was I'd like a I'd like a title that's big enough to read if it's a thumbnail somewhere yeah. <laughs> and I said oh okay um, and yeah he did a he did a lovely job she's credited on the inside with the photograph which oh, is yeah. which is very nice and it the thing about being on a lake as people or, or by the sea is that it's different all the time so actually i have hundreds of photographs of that view and that each one is different but um that seemed to be kind of hopeful and yeah. and a sunset and so on so yeah yeah and 
this is the view that um, when your husband was um, in the last stages of his life, the the nurses would come and yes. say, yes, yeah, so they, 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 and he could see this from his window too. Oh, yeah. So um, I don't tell people that very often because it sounds a little bit sad, but for him, it was, I think it felt like the right place to be the only place he would want it to be at that point, you know? Yeah. Oh gosh. I, that is a gorgeous view. I, yeah, I can, I definitely can see why everybody was so astonished when they walked into your house to see it. Yeah. Um, so talk about how long this memoir took for you to write. So the writing of it took, I think about two to three years off and on, because sometimes I, I, I was never one of those people that could sit down from 10 to two every day and just write, you know, so I would write when I've felt like it and sometimes I didn't feel like it so it took me quite a long time and then I sent it to an editor to look at and while I was waiting for her to do that work I started work on a novel that's another story mm-hmm. but um so there's there are these time lags mm-hmm. and then I did some rewriting and I sent it out to people to read and then they came back with comments and finally I sort of decided and I had a writing critique group who helped me also. And then I, I decided, okay, it's time to get published. And I put it in a drawer. Mm. So because, because with a memoir, when you do publish, you're sort of drawing a line under that part of your life. And it's, it's sort of over in a way, at least that's how I felt. So it wasn't until my friends kept saying, so did you actually write a memoir? Is this just, were you making that up? And I was like, you know, I actually did. So they said, well, when is it coming out? And I decided um, last year that it was time to start sending it out to uh, small indie presses because memoir is notoriously difficult to sell to um, a large publisher unless you've been abducted by aliens or, yeah. Unless you're a celebrity. (laughs) Or or unless you're a celebrity. That's exactly right. And so, um, yeah. (laughs) Abducted by aliens. Oh, my God. Well, you know, and I had nothing exciting to say. Although people say they find this to be a page turner. I'm not exactly sure why. but It is. It's so human. It's so real. It's your life. And there's, I mean, you lived an incredible life. And um, your marriage is something to be admired too. So yeah. So talk about the challenges of writing your memoir. Okay. So one of the things I learned early on was that I should write it by hand because when I, when I was typing it, I was getting the facts down, but I wasn't getting any of the feelings down and I wasn't getting any of the details. So so I got what happened, but I wasn't writing where happened, the conversations, the whatever. So I started writing it by hand. And because I was writing slower, my brain had time to get into what I was writing and remember the details and the conversations. And of course, they're not the same as anybody else's who was there at the time. I don't know if you have siblings, but if you do, and you mention something from your childhood, they're they're almost always going to say, no, no, it wasn't like that. It was like this. And you were in the same room, you know. So so memoir is is funny that way. And that's part of the reason why it took me quite a while to do. But I didn't start it 
chronologically. I started with whatever I could remember. And then I thought, okay, I'll, I'll do it with flashbacks and stuff like that. And I was getting confused. So I, <laughs> I put the dates of everything that I'd written when they happened and put them into chronological order. And that seemed yeah. to make a logical series, a logical story, because yeah. a life is a story. Everybody has one. And I always encourage people to write their memoirs if they're so inclined and to start doing it by hand because, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if I'll ever write a memoir, but because my memory is terrible. Did, did you like write in a journal your experiences or? <laughs> I, you know, I did write journals, especially when I was married and my husband was an alcoholic, but there was so much whining in there. <laughs> I didn't get to the gym today. <laughs> um, you know, I'm too heavy. I'm whatever. So they weren't terribly helpful except for some dates, you know. Yeah. But um, but you'd be surprised. I don't have a very good memory either. At least I thought I didn't. But the fact is, you know, it's all in there. It's not the memory that's no good. It's the getting it out. Okay. And that's why I found the handwriting really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I had a stack of journals and I've had to throw most of them away because... You know, unless I was on a trip somewhere and then I like reading those because that, that reminds me of a particular place. But yeah, no, so it's, um, it is an experience. I, th I think everybody should try it. Even if it's only a short thing, like something you remember from your childhood, because at some point somebody is going to be interested in it. Yeah, you know? that's a good way to look at it. So now you and your husband, Jay, wrote love letters to each other. And I just, I just love that part of the book. Um, when you were writing your memoir, did you, were, I know you had lost some of them or they were stolen. That's. Yes, there was some of them was stolen, sorry to say, in Evanston. <laughs> yeah. But, so much um, for Midwest, not, Midwesters being nice. <laughs> well, I was right behind the police station too. I couldn't believe it. But anyway, yeah. um, that's where I live. But um, yes, we did have. Uh, letters and I'm so glad that I grew up in a time when there was no email because it is different again it's the typing versus the hand mm -hmm. but we wrote a lot to each other but when I was writing the book I didn't even think about them because after Jay died I put some things away as being too much you know to handle yeah. and it wasn't till after I'd finished uh, the first or the second draft even, that I suddenly thought to myself, you know, I think I need more of Jay's voice in here yeah. so that people you know, can sort of hear him and how he, how he was. And so I, I took them out again. And of course, that was another whole process. That took me about a month to, and I still haven't finished going through them all because, uh, you know, although I'm British, I can get emotional. So I was... Uh, going through and finding um, some of the things that I felt really reflected him and were part of the story. And that really, of course, cheered me up quite a bit by the time I'd, I'd got it done. But I feel so fortunate. And, you know, my parents wrote love letters to each other. And I have my, my father's letters to my mother that she kept for, I think, 70 years. Wow. You know? That's amazing. Right. You know, that's a lost art. That needs to be brought back. 
We should bring it back. <laughs> you know, I, I, I could see a writing course on how to write a love letter. Yeah. yeah. That would be super fun. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> um, okay, so you talked about moving from England to the United States. Gosh, that's got to been, that should have been tough for you. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, when I first moved, I thought I was coming for six months. Mm -hmm. So I had, and, and all these fun things were going to happen. So my work was going to find me an apartment and, and they did. And I discovered you could rent furniture. I had never heard of such a thing. It's not something people do in England. So I was thrilled with all of this and off I went. And I, and I was there for six months and then I could see that the project I was working on wasn't finished. And my boss said to me, can you stay longer? And, and then he said to me, do you mind just staying forever? <laughs> and it was at that point that uh, I had met Jay again, having not seen him for five years. And I thought to myself, you know, I don't know where this is going to go. I don't, I don't know what my future is, but I'll do this and see what happens. And that was when I, my sister packed up all my furniture in England and shipped it over. And wow. I really began to feel like I was starting to settle in, yeah. but it, it made it easier to be someone who was like on a long sabbatical in England, in America, who was able to just go, what a fascinating place. Yeah. How amazing. You can do this. You can do that. It was very different from the British attitude, which was, oh, you're going to go and work in America, are you? And I'm like, yes. And I noticed something about Americans, which was that the people who left the old countries to come to America were different from the people who stayed behind. And I think that accounts for this kind of can-do, um, we can make it, uh, we're independent kind of spirit that Americans have on the whole. Uh, whereas the British are, tend to be more traditional and like, oh, well, we haven't done it that way before. You know? <laughs> but, um, so I found that really refreshing. People just said, great, go for it. Yeah. over here you know oh that's amazing yeah i didn't know the difference between the cultures that's interesting well, you don't notice it until you go and live there i think yeah yeah and i'm not going to go live there not that i know of <laughs> no, no, no you're better off just watching downton abbey and going how weird <laughs> i oh i love that show i binge watched that oh it was wonderful yeah, I didn't I mean, understand all of the um, the accent. I had to rewind a lot because I couldn't. Some, yes, some of them were quite difficult, weren't they? But you can do close captioning these days, which yeah, is cool. True. <laughs> true. So do you get back to England often? I used to go back once a year until uh, the plague arrived, until COVID hit. So um, I will go back later this year. But in the meantime, my sister is making a visit. One of my sisters is making a visit here next month. So uh, I'm looking forward to that because I haven't seen her for two years. Yeah. But I do like to go back. I've got yeah. family, cousins, uh, two sisters and so on. Yeah. So speaking of one of your sisters, um, you ended up adopting her two boys. I thought that was phenomenal. Like that's you already raised your children. Now you're raising two more. You, gosh, that is fascinating in itself. So how did how did that all 
work out? The kids were young. So did they understand the whole moving from England to the United States? And so, uh, as you know, my sister had died in London and she was, she was young and uh, her boys were five and eight. Yeah. And to begin with, I said, you know, if anything happens to you, of course, we'll have them no problem. But then when something, not thinking it would ever yeah. happen. And so when it did, though, uh, there really wasn't any question in my mind. I, I, I guess I'm possibly I'm a bit impulsive. I don't know, because I said yes to coming to America and <laughs> yes to Jay and yes to having these children. But after checking with Jay, because yeah. uh, it wasn't fair to just do that, obviously. And he um, agreed. And the, the children's father was um had some mental health issues and was grateful to us for taking them and so and they are still very much in touch with him even now that they're grown up but it was terribly difficult for them the little one the five-year-old did a little better but the eight-year-old found it really hard because he was one of those children with an amazing memory could remember everything and he'd had a very hard year watching his mother get sicker you know and people trying to be cheerful around him and him as children always do they know there's something terribly wrong yeah and um but I understood that because my father had died when I was 12 and so I understood what it was like to have the rug pulled out from under you but for them it was not just their mother but their father in a way inaccessible, a different home, a different country, a different school, or a different culture. You know, they'd never heard of Halloween or Thanksgiving or any of that stuff. They were really thrown in the deep end. So I was glad that it was me because of, of all my family. I was the one that was most like my sister in temperament. And, um, and I think they found that comforting. Yeah. But, but they did worry, you know, they worried that I was going to die suddenly. Mm. And um, so I had to keep saying, I'm going to live to be 100. Don't worry. <laughs> I'll oh. tell you something else that's not in the book. So for quite a while afterwards, as people do when they're grief stricken, my language was terrible. I was throwing out swear words right and left to the point where the boys started counting. <laughs> <laughs> and one day I was, I was doing something, something had gone wrong. And I said, oh, and one of them said 147. And I said, what? He said, that's the 147th time you've said that. <laughs> and I went, I think I've overdone it now. So I said, you're only allowed to do that when you're in terrible pain. Yes. Oh, gosh. And he said, Right. <laughs> Looking at me very skeptically. And so I stopped right then, but I hadn't noticed. And I, I do know, you know, it was a sign of stress and grief, but you can't explain that to an eight-year-old. No. Oh my gosh. So funny. Kids are so funny. Yeah. My daughter started a swear jar in our house. And as soon as she started, when I stopped swearing. Yeah, they would have if they thought of it and they would have made a fortune. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. So talk a little bit about your relationship with Jay. It's so inspirational. And do you have any advice for people who are married? Really, I think the advice I, I would have is um, fight. <laughs> In other words, don't 
let things um, get to you and learn how to have a fair fight and how to do it so that you are both able to say what it is that's really bugging you uh, without making the other person feel like they're totally in the wrong. Yeah. Because that that's the difficulty when you when you when you feel when I feel that someone's just saying you're wrong, you got, you don't know what you're talking about, you this, you that. I I don't listen really, and neither does the person I'm talking to because the tendency is to go well. If I'm this, you're this, <laughs> yeah. and yet there is a way way to do it. And if you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it because I think being able to have um, a good fight is is going to keep things working. And the other thing Jay and I had to learn to do was we had to, <laughs> we are both hardworking people. We had to learn to go out on sort of dates that had no redeeming value. In other words, they weren't culturally going to improve us. They weren't anything like that. So we had to learn to go fly a kite together. You know, we, we so we would take it in turns every two weeks. One of us would choose the thing, which is how I got to go go kart racing, and so on. You know, so um, and it, that would turned out to be fun. And we were not very good at just having fun. Yeah. Um, and that kept things uh, going. I will say about the fighting. A friend of mine <laughs> um, was told that you know how amazing that she'd been married for so long because the person saying it to her had only been married for 30 years instead of 40 and Marilyn Rothstein who's the author who was being interviewed said I my husband and I have had fights that lasted longer than 30 years <laughs> not at all true they're obviously quite devoted yeah. to each other but but they're both strong-minded people you know yeah. and um that keeps things equal yeah fighting keeps things equal instead of one person feeling crushed I think that's good advice. I think sometimes when you're married for just a little bit of time, you think a fight is devastating, like, oh gosh, yeah. is marriage going to end, when it's just a natural part of any relationship. And yeah. I like the advice of, you know, fighting fair. Yes. And that's not always, um, people don't always do that, but that is great advice. <laughs> That is really great advice. And I really love the fact that you plan dates. I think that's very important and just fun things to do. Just, yeah, just silly things, you know, yeah. um, that, that didn't have any, uh, they weren't sophisticated things to yeah, do. Yeah, no, it doesn't have to be. It's just spending time together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like that. So um, you talk about, writing in your memoir you you just say I I'm writing this or but you never really go into it were you writing fiction or what were you writing yeah, so I was I was writing short stories and I did have a blog where I was writing um essays a number of them about Jay because he was quite hilarious in many ways <laughs> and um and then um somebody picked them up and asked if they could include them in an anthology um, so I had three of those and a poem about my sister or something were, were in this anthology, which was lovely. And I did write some short stories, also some in anthologies. Um, but I found that they people liked them best when they weren't too literary. Uh, they, you know, when I was trying to write beautifully, <laughs> it wasn't yeah. really working. Yeah. They said, you know, we rather prefer it when you're doing it 
like you talk. Yes. So, okay. Um, so I, that's what I was writing. And um, as I said, I didn't think of writing a novel, for example, until I was waiting for some feedback about my memoir. So, and then I found I quite enjoyed doing that too, because of course you can make anything up that you want. Yeah. So I've written one complete one and I've got um, a wow. sequel in the works. And So is that yeah. coming out soon, the, the first one? Um, I'm hoping so, but I'm still waiting to hear, but it, it, I'm hoping that it'll come out next year, so. Nice, I'll be looking for that. Very cool, that is wonderful. So back to your memoir, um, what do you want readers to take away from it? You know, I want them to take away whatever helps them to feel better about their own lives, really. Because I think that that's why we read, is to find a person who's had the same experience and come out of it okay. Yeah. You know, uh, because that sometimes you need that encouragement, mm -hmm. I think. Yeah. And um, so if they take anything away, it's that if you really love somebody and and you have a sense of humor, you can get through so much. Yeah. And um, and it's interesting. People, as I say, will take away what they what they what speaks to them. Mm -hmm. So um, whatever that is, I'm happy for that to be the case. Yeah, and that, that was interesting when you talked about someone took away this and someone took away that, and it was things you didn't even think about. And no, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so where can people find your memoir? Um, they can find it everywhere online. They can, they can order it from any bookstore. Some bookstores have it. Uh, you can ask your library and they'll get you a copy. So, um, yeah, there's a waiting list at one library around here, which is oh, kind of fun. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> a couple more, which is nice. But of course, those are people who are like, really? I thought I knew that woman, but now I've got to find out what she's really like. Yes. <laughs> they have to get the scoop. <laughs> yes, they do. They do. Well, thank oh, you. And there's, and there's an audio book if pe for people who oh. like to, uh, um, nice. you know, to listen while they're walking or driving. Did you narrate it? Yeah, I did. Oh, you have a wonderful accent, so I'm sure it's a big I thing. know, but you know, I do warn people it's seven and a half hours of this, so you may not... <laughs> Oh, I love that. I love the accent. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I had an awesome time talking to you. In my pleasure. And I just want to say that I love the way you've done your books. I oh, <laughs> thank you. Really, I hope you can find what you're looking for when you are, but they look beautiful. I, I can't find anything, but I do like <laughs> to look at it. <laughs> It's all good. Whatever your method, it's good. <laughs> I want to thank you, Annie, for, for having me. It's been a, a delight to talk to you. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, I did too. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Soulful Series is hosted by me, Annie Catherine. Soulful Series is a Vienna Studios production produced by Vanessa Ferlano. Music by Vanessa Ferlano. Catch you next time. Part of the ACAST community.